0: Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. We are in week two of our series called Pray. And today the title of the message is actually Tabernacle Prayer. And what we're talking about today is the the reality, the symbolism, the parallel of what we see in the Old Testament and how that applies to prayer, worship, um, and how you and I today in the reality of what Jesus has done, how we approach the presence of God. And um, it's the journey uh, that we're going to talk about today that God's people had to take every single time they wanted to come into the presence of God. When they had the tabernacle, there was this, there was, this, there was a ritual approach to it. And um, I, for one, am pretty grateful for Jesus because he, he actually changed that ritual substantially, as we talk about quite often. Uh, but nonetheless, the steps are are still important because everything that ever happened in the Old Testament is actually pointing us towards Jesus and what He wanted to do. What God wanted to do in the New Covenant was not plan B. What God was doing was the same thing all the time. And uh, once you get your head and your heart around that, the whole paradigm can shift on what it is that God wants to do in you and through you and what God wants to do in this world, how much He loves us, why He hates sin the way He does. All of that comes into focus when we realize that God didn't get it wrong. And... Um, and so most of us probably uh, from one time in our life or another are familiar with Moses. Just throw your hand up if you, if you kind of recognize that name right, Moses. We, and he was the guy who brought the Israelites, the Hebrew people, out of Egypt, out of slavery, uh, because God instructed him to go and speak to Pharaoh. And, 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 and in the process of what Moses is doing, he's, God is delivering his people who he made covenant with through Abraham, He's, he's, he's bringing them out of the house of slavery to a promised land, to a place of freedom where they would ultimately become a nation and, uh, and he would be their God, they would be his people. That's the whole, that's the, that's the summary, if you will, of what's going on through the Old Testament in the story of Moses and God's people. Um, but while they were going to the promised land, it's not like God said, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you out of slavery and it's going to be a generation or two before you get to be in my presence. God thought better, of course, and, and, and so while the people of Israel were traveling, really what was a maybe a four- to five-day journey that took them 40 years, as you probably heard before, um, God instructed them to build a temple. And because they actually couldn't build a temple because they were traveling from Egypt to the land of Canaan, they, they had to build a temple that was portable and movable, and the word that we have for that is actually the tabernacle. And the tabernacle was a foldable church, if you want to think of it that way. It was, you know, no bricks, no mortar, poles, fabric. And it was built very, very specifically to a very, uh, very, God had a very stringent requirement for what it could be. From the fabrics that were used to the length of the, the, you know, every detail he gave was very, very specific. And it lends to why why worship works the way it does, and how we can approach God in prayer. And so the, the tent itself, or the tabernacle itself, was a rectangular tent. Now, pay attention to this, because it's actually important. It's a rectangular tent, and inside of this rectangular tent, there are six very significant pieces of furniture. Anybody, anybody with me so far? We have six pieces of furniture and one tent. What do we have? We have number seven, all right? And now this isn't, this isn't like weird, this isn't, this isn't like super spiritual for you to understand this, but the word seven, all through scripture, is a number of completion. And the reason for that, there are three, I believe it's three consonants in the Hebrew word for uh, completion, in, in, in order, there are just three consonants, and, and this will blow your mind, but the word seven in Hebrew, even though it's a different word, is made up of those exact same three consonants. So this is, this is why, at the, at the very base level, we understand that seven is a number of completion. Because literally, in the Hebrew spelling, how a consonant works in Hebrew, they are actually, they're not the same word, but they have the same numeric value of their letters. So it's, 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 it's hard to think of that in English, because we actually don't relate to Hebrew very well at all. I mean, they read backwards to us, right? Hebrew is read right to left, not left to right. So So you have to kind of... Shift your whole way of thinking. But nonetheless, we, we have is these six articles inside the temple, and we have or six articles articles in the tabernacle, and we have the tabernacle, which brings us to seven components to be in the presence of God, and it is a number of completion. Exodus 25, 8 to 9, this morning, reading out of the NLT. Have the have the people of Israel build me a holy sanctuary so I can live among them. You must notice again. Very stringent, you must build this tabernacle and its furnishings exactly to the pattern I will show you, and I think we got a quick little picture to throw up here is a, here is a wonderfully illustrated image of the of the tabernacle, and so what you see is the outer courtyard, just for fun by the way, the way those tents are all arranged the the ancient Israelites, when they traveled across the desert, as depicted here, they would set up to camp every so often. You know, you'd move, you'd set up camp, you'd move, you'd set up camp. I want you to know that all those tents around there, they are organized according to their tribes, 12 tribes in all. And this would blow your mind. But if we were able to zoom out on that, you know what you would actually see? The whole camp of Israel is set up in the shape of the cross. And not... Like, and not just kind of like sort of an X. I'm talking about the cross of crucifixion. It is, it is remarkably similar to the symbol we use for Christianity today. Just a little free one for you this morning. Uh, but what we see is the outer courtyard, and then the tabernacle there itself is covered. You can see smoke coming up from the altar uh, in the back. There's the altar in the front, and uh, there is, uh, we'll go through them in a few moments, but there's the giant basin, the washing, la- uh, the, the lavern and and so as we go through this this morning, I want to show you why it's so important that, that this is how God is approached and how you and I actually approach Him in a very similar way because of what Jesus has done. So there were literally these steps to God. You had to go through these processes to be in the presence of God. And sadly, uh, only certain people could go into the presence of God, specifically Levites, people in the tribe of Levi and... Uh, and, and there were certainly limitations placed on their life. They, they didn't get to own land. They didn't get to do some of the things other people got to do because they were set apart as the priesthood to God. Um, and so here's some of the steps. Um, let's go Exodus 33, verse 11. So inside the tent of meeting, inside that place, the Lord would speak to Moses face-to-face as one speaks to a friend. Now, this is one of the most important little verses I want to share with you this morning because the Old Testament God that most people view, they have a hard time reckoning him as a friend. It's more like it's more like he's the God of war, the God of vengeance. There's there's a lot of bloodshed and brutality in the Old Testament, but it was a it was a bloodshedding and brutal world. And so I think in fairness, it's it's good to keep that in mind. But God would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. And just so you know, in in our series on praying, guys, this is where prayer gets amazing. When you you grasp this, that when you meet with God, you're in his presence, you, you actually, as a child of God, you get to speak to God face to face as one who speaks to a friend. And when it's so real that you know you're talking to God and he's talking to you, it's one of the most amazing, fulfilling things that we get to experience in our life. Um, The tabernacle is that enduring picture of stepping toward God. And so what do those steps actually mean then? Well, there's, again, there's seven steps. There's the tabernacle and the six pieces of furniture. And so let's start with this. There's the outer court, as we showed just a few moments ago. Um, we have this outer court, and, and here's a verse to go with it. Psalm 100, verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Let me just say something very simply for you this morning. Thanks, gratitude, is how you praise God. Well, aren't we supposed to say Yeah, you can say all kinds of other things. You can ascribe greatness to him. You can, you can bless him. You can declare his holiness. You can talk about his praiseworthiness, but but the foundation of all worship to God is actually thanksgiving. It's actually gratitude. And that's why it says in Psalm 100, verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to his name and praise his name. Many, many times through the Psalms and different places in the Bible, you will find thanks is what happens first. In fact, in, in most of the book of Psalms, what we see is that whenever there is a prayer, you'll see thanksgiving go ahead of it. That was actually King David's style it appears as he would pray to God. There was, there was always thanks being offered and then there would be requests made. And um, just, just for those of you who jump ahead right away and say, well, what about when Jesus taught them how to pray? He didn't start with thanksgiving. Yeah, but he did start with the acknowledgement of what? Our Father who is in heaven, holy is your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I'm sorry, but you don't have to detour very hard to see the position of gratitude being taken place. We're putting in ourselves in a position of gratitude. God who is in heaven, your name is holy, your kingdom come. All you first, God. And so it puts us in that posture right from the start. Um, Thanks is how you praise God. Often, I think what we're guilty of is we start our prayer with telling God what we want. Right? If, If I was to ask you to bow your head, close your eyes, and raise your hand, I'm pretty sure everybody would respond. It's easy to start praying just by telling God what we want because that's where our focus typically is. But I just want you to understand, that's actually how the pagan nations of the world have always prayed, right? I, I come from Scandin- very, very Scandinavian blood, um, and so um, as I look at family history and I look at the history of, of, my, of my ethnic people, um, I'm also, I also have a little bit of Sami back there somewhere, so, so, so I don't know, I feel like I'm cousins with our First Nations people, it's kind of fun. Um, well, if you understand what the Sami people are in that part of the world, it's... It's, it's kind of, they're, they're an amazing group of people. Um, but, but, but my ancestors, whenever they had an issue, they would invent another god. Like the crops aren't good. Well, we need a god to pray to for the crops. Oh, we can't have babies. Well, we need a god or a goddess to pray to so that we can have babies. Uh, this didn't work out, that we've got to go into battle, well, we better have a God of war. I mean, it was, it's logical from the perspective of humanity that I have a need, and therefore there must be someone to answer that need. What we encounter in, in Yahweh, what we encounter in, in the one true God, is that He says, no, I'm everything. I am all things. I am the beginning, I am the end, I am the first, I am the last, I am everything there is. All that has come into being has come into being by me, for me, through me. That is the God that we worship. And so it's a very humanistic way to approach God, to approach Him only based on our need. Now, I want to be clear. It's okay if that's how you've been approaching God. Just think of this message today as something that's going to help you approach Him a little better. Maybe approach Him a little more in accordance with the way that He deserves to be approached. So thanks is how you praise God. And we actually don't start praying or praising God or or coming to God with our need. But we need to stop and say thank you for what we already have. Gratitude is one of the healthiest emotions a human being can have because gratitude is absolutely contagious in the life of a person. Uh, Just in the past two weeks, I can't remember because my wife is so good, I don't even remember very clearly when I'm unhappy with her. But I had one of those moments, like many of you, if you're being honest, will have, where your spouse does something to annoy you. And God so often does this when I start feeling the need to complain about my, my wife, who I love very much almost every single day of my life. Just being honest. Often the Holy Spirit will, will say something to me like, um, just talk to me about one thing you're grateful for. And oh, man, I know what's coming next. Okay, Lord, I'm grateful that she is smoking hot. Yeah, I actually do thank her for that. And, and then the next thing comes to my mind. Right, like Instantly, the next thing comes to my mind. And she's gracious and she's kind. Oh, shoot. And what, it's amazing what happens because as your frustration and anger dissipates, more gratitude begins to flow out of you. And as more gratitude begins to flow out of you, you become more thankful and less frustrated. And this is why sometimes people just don't want to be thankful, I think. Because I think some of you know that if you start being thankful, you won't be allowed to be mad anymore. (laughs) I know we can laugh, but maybe it's true. Maybe that's a real condition that we struggle with. And that outer court, what we see in the outer court of the tabernacle is this opportunity to come to God with gratitude, to make things, make things right with Him by adjusting our hearts so that we're not coming in our need, but we're actually coming in thanksgiving. So I try to do that every day. I really do. I try to, I try to, I try to pay attention to how, how the Holy Spirit speaks to me because so quickly and so often when my frustration is present, gratitude is... Is the solution, and what it does is it changes how then I enter the presence of God. It changes how I pray for people who frustrate me. It changes how I see my need, in fact, and totally alters my perspective. Uh, The next thing that they would come to after the outer courts, um, as we showed in the picture, you would come to what the Bible calls the brazen altar. The brazen altar. I think we have a graphic of that one we can throw up. Here it is. It's basically a big barbecue pit. And I don't say that irreverently. That is basically what it was. Uh, they would burn offerings on that. The brazen altar was the place where animal sacrifices were offered for sin. Very, very specifically for sin. Um, and no matter what you do, if you're going to get into the presence of God, you have to walk by that. You have to pass by that altar. You don't get to sidestep it. It is literally in your way. You have to deal with with sin, with sanctification, with that offering before you can move into the presence of God. And thank God that no more when we come to church do we have to sacrifice animals. Although, in the past few years, we have had some sheep, and I would have been more than happily happy to supply anyone in our church with a sacrifice if we were, if we were still rolling that old school. Like, please, just come and, come and have a visit and take one and, and be happy with your sacrifice that you get to offer now. Because... Um, I just don't like sheep that much. And that's me saying it really Christian and nice-like, okay? Uh, <laughs> but you have to deal with the altar. The brazen altar is in your way. You have to deal with it coming into the presence of God. And it's important to keep this in mind. You know what, guys? You will feel conviction when you lean in to pray. Some of you this past week, as you begin to fast and you begin to pray with us, it produced holiness in you right away. Because when you sincerely begin to pursue God in prayer, you have no choice. Your sin is confronted. It really is, and that's because symbolically to this day, we still come into his presence, we offer thanksgiving, and the next thing we bang into is whatever stands between us and God. You, 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 it's, like the, it's like the ball hitch that I leave in my pickup truck that hits you right in the shin, just below the knee, when you walk by, come on, somebody knows what that's like, and Jesus was there when you said the words you said, I want you to know that, all right, that is one of the most unpleasant, the, the only thing worse than that is honestly when you have three and four year old boys and there are Legos left out on the carpet in the dark. Amen, that's right, because some of us have been there too, we know that, we know that preach real well. Okay, but you, you have to deal with the brazen altar, you have to deal with sin when you come to God and I want you to understand what happens to so many people is they start praying and they get to sin and they quit. And they forget how, how, how frequently God speaks to us in his word about how easy it is for him, for him to forgive sin. It's easy for him. Well, it doesn't seem easy for my, of course it doesn't seem easy from your perspective. Because you actually haven't been showing gratitude. And so your, your mind and your heart are misaligned with where God wants to take you. So we start with gratitude in the, in the outer courts, and we move from the outer courts in gratitude into our sin. And you know, the, the one thing that I know I will always be grateful for to Jesus is that he has paid for my sin. He forgave me of my sin. And it's not hard for him, and, and the religious people of Jesus' day thought it was hard too, just so you know. Jesus, in one instance in the Gospels, he heals a man, and, after, and, he, and he healed him, and this is the words he used to heal him. He didn't say, you're healed. He said what? Your sins are forgiven. And everybody, all the religious teachers were like, oh my gosh, he's a blasphemer. He can't say that. And here's Jesus' response to them them in those days and to you and I today. What is more difficult? To say your sins are forgiven or be healed? The point is it's not hard for him. Your sin is dealt with. The only thing that isn't dealt with is the confession of it on your part. And so coming to God, we're forced. We're forced to reckon sin. I want you to hear the words of this psalm, Psalm 103, verses 2 through 5. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Now listen so carefully who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion who satisfies your desires with the good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles that is the power of the blood of Jesus that is shed at the cross for you and I that is that is the blood we talk about when we celebrate communion that is the blood of a new covenant and back in, in my childhood, growing up in, in Pentecostal church, I mean, every second song we sang was about the blood. And honestly, it, I feel like today if we did that, so many people who aren't familiar or comfortable with church would be freaked right out. Like, they would think, I don't know, some kind of vampire church. They would think weird things. Because we're so far removed as a culture from the need of what Scripture says was the only way to pay for sin. Right. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, in fact, there is no remission for sin. There's nothing for it without the shedding of blood. And that's why, though, that's why we we sing, we talk. That's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And I, I still to this day, I gotta tell you, when I hear those words, because I understand what they mean, that power washes over me. And the good news is, is that it's not just that there's a sacrifice made for sin but there's also a washing that takes place and it's not an accident it's not a coincidence that the next thing as you walk into the presence of God in this Old Testament tabernacle is you come to the laver which is a giant wash basin so we we come into his presence with thanksgiving as we come into his presence, we have to deal, we have to reckon with our sin, and as we offer the sacrifice, or as Jesus is offered in our place as a sacrifice, we come to the laver, we come to this giant wash basin that's in the presence of God. I think we have a graphic of it we can show you this morning. It's just a, That looks like a birdbath, I suppose. Some of these are art, artist renderings, and, and, and they, they may be more or less accurate. I'm not that concerned with it, because what you need to understand is we come into his presence with thanksgiving. We, we enter the reality of who we are and who he is. we got to deal with our sin. And then he is faithful and just to forgive our sin, and he washes us. Yeah. The laver was just that. It was a place of washing water with mirrors in the bottom. Uh, they, they would hammer precious metals so that you could see a reflection in it. You could see if you were clean enough to enter the presence of God. Jesus forgave you and I once and for all. It's a finished work. And what he did in the cross was not only die for our sin and cover our sin, but he actually cleansed us from our sin. There's an old hymn, and the words are, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and all who wash beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Again, what's one of those hymns where like, you know, your unchurched cousin comes to church for the first time, never been to church before. They're like, "What the?" Right? But the power of that old hymn to my heart. Because I understand what it means to be to be washed by and in the blood of Jesus. God is good to us in that every day that we come to Him in prayer, as we come to Him in this process, He is good to forgive. The Bible says if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's not hard for Him, remember? It's just not hard for God to forgive sin. It's not difficult for Him. It's already been done. He's just waiting for us to walk into it. So we can be washed by his word, by his spirit. Every day that I ask God to change me, he does. He changes me and he does that by cleansing me and renewing me. And he'll do the same for you. There's several things you could do here, I suppose, at this point. If you were walking this out in your prayer journey this week. At this point, you could talk to God about your emotions and your attitudes well, why could you talk to him about that? Well, because you've already come with gratitude, so now your position is realigned. Your focus is aligned properly. He's God. You're not. He's good. You're not that good. Right? right? You're grateful. You're thankful. And man, there just keeps more being added to that list. We've dealt with our sin. He's faithful and just to wash us and forgive our sin. And now it's a good time to talk to God about our emotions, our attitudes, our hardships. You with me still? Our, our bad habits, our besetting sins. And I like this verse, Romans 12.1, Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. See, we don't talk about this one very often. Well, Jesus was the sacrifice. Yes, He was. Not just symbolically, but powerfully and truthfully. But what about this symbolism that we read about in Romans 12.1? In view of God's mercy, that you and I should offer our physical, our living bodies as living sacrifices. And what does that mean? We actually maybe talked a little bit about this at Young Adults on Friday night. It literally means that you offer your physical body up to God. You know, God can do anything. All things are possible with God. But I don't often see God doing a whole lot with a person who is submitted in their emotions and submitted in their spirit but unwilling in their flesh. People can be unwilling in their flesh and that absolutely stops the process. Who do you belong to? Bible goes on to say you were bought with a the price; therefore, you need to honor God with your body. And it's interesting because much of Paul's writing to these churches that were that were were from they're Gentiles, they're pagans, they're heathens. And often, what Paul has to address and what the early church fathers had to address was this reality where people were like, "Jesus sounds good to me; Holy Spirit sounds good to me; I'll take that. That sounds like a great way." Prosper and have a happy life and to, and to live. But when it comes to what I get to do with my body, my body, my choice, it's not a new thing people are doing. It's actually, this actually is as old as humanity and sin itself. Well, no, it's my body. I have autonomy, I get to decide. It's actually not the way it works for the children of God. You're His people. His own treasured, special possession. Well, I don't want to be a possession. I'm not a thing. No, you're not a thing. You're an amazing person made in the image of God. But don't ever forget that. Because you're not made in your own image. Even though you think you are, you are not made in your own image. You're made in the image of the one who created you. And He is Lord. And if you permit Him to be the Lord of your life, you will need to honor Him, not just with your mind, and not just with your spirit, but with your physical body. That means your presence. That means your strength. That means your service. Your time. Your waking hours. Your sleeping hours. Believe it or not, that's really good news. My tongue... I offer that to God. You know how often I have to pray? Some of you will laugh and believe this right away. Some of you might be surprised by this. Maybe not many of you. How often I have to pray, God, my tongue. <laughs> I, need, I need you to, I, I, my, my prayer is often put a guard at my tongue. Help, me, help my tongue to be guarded, Lord. Because believe it or not, I'm a very opinionated person. <laughs> a few of you laugh. Yeah, thanks. Write your names down. Why? Well, because the tongue possesses the power to give life or take life. Did you know that my tongue is one of the most things I one of the most powerful things I have in common with God? Yeah. Because with a word God can speak life and God speaks into existence. And with a word, I could speak death and shame into your life or I could speak life into you. I can speak the truth or I can speak a lie. Words are powerful because God who created us, his words are powerful. So my tongue, maybe first and foremost, needs to come under this living sacrifice that's offered to him. How about my eyes? I believe it's in the book of Proverbs. It actually says the eyes of a man are never full. And that's not saying it in a good way. It's actually speaking to the lust and the emptiness of mankind. How no matter what we see, we're never satisfied. We can always have more. We'll always take more. And so I, our eyes, they, not only do they deceive us, but they also entangle and ensnare us. And I don't even need to jump into a conversation about lust or pornography, because I think we understand very well in this day and age what that is doing to our society, what it does to our world, the bondage and the pain that that creates. But so what is our prayer? What is the submission of our sacrifice? It's God, help me to see things the way that you do. Because after all, Scripture does teach us that we walk by faith, not by sight. In other words, I'm going to walk and live my life according to what God says is true, to what, to, in accordance with how God says it will be, rather than what I see in front of me. That's what it means to offer my eyes as a living sacrifice to God. I'm going to read your word, and I'm going to put my faith in what my eyes see in your word, not what my eyes see when I look at social media. I'm going to put my faith in what I see in my brothers and sisters in Christ as they grow, as they serve you, as they're a success. I'm going to, God, I'm going to put my, my faith in what my eyes see in you speaking through my children to my children. God, I'm going to, I am going to put my faith in seeing your goodness in the land of the living. Rather than all of the death that I see at the enemy's camp. Well, how about your ears? And ears are important too. I, I'm at a new place of domestic hearing loss in my life apparently. Like if there is any ambient noise at all, I have to try to read Amy's lips. And uh, she, she actually in the past little while has gotten quite frustrated with me because... I think I I hear very... In fact, I had a hearing test a little over a year ago, and I have better hearing than 99% of the men in this world that are my age. Um, But for some reason, domestic hearing loss its a real thing. And sometimes I think we have domestic hearing loss for the Holy Spirit, don't we? Familiarity breeds contempt. That's a phrase you've all heard before. Can I just tell you as your pastor this morning... Please guard yourself against familiarity. Guard yourself against familiarity with me and the office that I hold as a pastor because it's important. It can breed contempt. And that doesn't mean you honor men and women in an unnecessary way. Just guard against familiarity because you don't want to become so familiar with the holy God that contempt begins to rise up in you while you're not paying attention. Don't become so familiar in your marriage that you leave room for contempt. Don't become so familiar with the people in your life that you begin to forsake authentic relationship with them. Because what you hear, I think more than anything, contempt affects what we hear. I've seen this in the counseling room many, many times. I will watch a man who I know loves his wife and a woman who I know loves her husband say something out loud in our presence. And it's, it's almost like it, it comes out into the air and it gets flipped around backwards and then stuffed into their head. What, what is doing that is the contempt that, that comes from familiarity because contempt and familiarity, they breed assumption. And before someone even gets to finish their sentence, we're like, oh, I already know what you're saying and I, al- I already know your intent is bad in your heart towards me. That's familiarity. It affects how we hear. So guard your heart against it. Guard your ears. God, help me to hear your voice. Turn, you tur- turn the enemy away from me. God, help me, to, help me to reach out to others. Help me to hear. Help me to hear your voice in every way that I can should be our prayer. Some of the clearest words of God I have ever heard have not come from reading my Bible, but come from the lips of my mouth or of my wife. They've come from the lips of my children. They've come from the lips of my friends who are in the presence of God. God uses people to speak to us. And finally, the last part of our body, the lowest part of our body, is our feet. How about God order my steps? The Bible actually says that God laughs at our plans. We have our plans and God laughs. Why? Because he's vindictive and mean? Of course not. Because I think some days he sits back on his throne in heaven and reclines and puts his hand behind his head and chuckles to himself. Because he knows that one day I'll figure it out, like when I'm in his presence for eternity, I'll figure it out at that point. Realize that his way was a better way than mine. And that in fact, he is the the one who has been ordering my steps the entire time. You can go and do what you want, or you can go and do what God wants. And you can complicate that so much that it will paralyze you. But maybe this morning, if you'll just consider one little step of faith, just change it up just a little bit, and just see how that goes for you. Acknowledge Him in all your ways, and He will straighten your path. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? That you do justly, that you love mercy, and that you walk humbly with God. The Bible speaks to how we are to use our feet all throughout its scripture, its context, its imagery, its words, everywhere. In that laver, we offer every part of our life up to God. It is the sacrifice that I can still make. And then we have the candlestick. And a candlestick, we are inviting the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. And as you stepped into the smaller tent within the tent at the back, now we've moved into the enclosed part of the tabernacle. We see the candlestick. And uh, you'll recognize that as probably a menorah. And once again, you'll notice that there are seven candles. Because it is a number of completion. And just so, just so you know, the Book of Revelation. Oh, that's a different one. That's all good. Don't worry about it. There's a candlestick. It's it's just it happens. It's okay. Um, anyways, let's abandon all that and come back to the come back to come back to this this candlestick, which is the representation of the Holy Spirit in my life. And I suppose that there was a practical reason for the candlestick. You know, if you think about it, we've now moved from outside to inside this heavy fabric walled enclosure. And I suppose practically there needed to be light, but that's still significant. Because when Jesus comes in the book of John, what does it say? A light shines in the darkness. The darkness could not comprehend it. All throughout Scripture, you'll see a flame representing the Spirit of God. It represented the Spirit of God on the day of Pentecost. It represented the Spirit of God in the Old Testament when they were led by the pillar of fire at night. It represented the Spirit of God in the burning bush in front of Moses. It represented the Spirit of God coming down and consuming the altar in front of the prophets of Baal at Elijah's request. All through Scripture, you will see that that flame... It represents the Spirit of God. The flame for all humanity represents something that is undying, that is life-giving, that is hope-filling. The Spirit enables us to say no to wrong things. The Holy Spirit guides us into the right things. In fact, when Jesus was leaving, he said, it's better that the Holy Spirit comes. It's better for you that I'm going away, but the Spirit is coming. The Spirit empowers us with spiritual gifts to help the body of Christ, to help each other, to edify ourselves. 2 Timothy 1, 6-7 says, This is why I remind you to fan into flame the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands upon you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but power, love, and self-discipline. This verse I often see quoted, Oh, God's not given us a spirit of fear. Well, you missed the front part of that, which is stir up. Fan into flame the spiritual gift that God gave you when the hands were laid on you. For God has not given you a spirit of fear. There's a lot of Christians out there who are like, Well, I keep saying God's not given me a spirit of fear, but I still have a spirit of fear. Why? Because you're not fanning into flame the spiritual gift that God put in you. You have to stir it up, you have to fan it into, into flame. It takes discipline, it takes repetition. Have you, ever tried to, have you ever tried to fan something into flame? Do you remember the last time you did it? Sometimes the wood's a little wet and you'll almost pass out. You'll hyperventilate blowing on that flame. Especially if you're a bad hunter or a vegetarian. <laughs> you need to spend time asking God to use you. Yeah. See, many, many people come to God, and they pray. Oh, Lord, this is my, oh, wait, pastor said thanks you. Okay, Lord, thank you. Ah, oh, Lord, I acknowledge I'm a sinner. Oh, Lord, thank you for washing me. Oh, Holy Spirit, thank you so much. And then we jump to, now my requests are, God. What if your requests change to, Lord, I want to be used by you. What if? What if that unlocks the next 10 steps for you? I don't know what to do. I don't know I don't know college, I don't know what to do this. I don't know who to marry. I don't know. How about you yield yourself and say, God, I want to be used by you. So you tell me what's next. You tell me, God, what's next? Anoint me. Give me some kind of gift, God. I am I am powerless. I feel unworthy, I feel useless, I feel weak. God, would you give me something so that I can be empowered to do your will? That's a far more powerful prayer than, Lord, my wife is being a jerk, would you please correct her? Far more powerful. Uh, Worship team, you can come back. Um, After you encountered the lampstand... He'd come to what they called the table of showbread, and that was bread that was set. It was very special bread. It was set there, um, and nobody was allowed to eat it except for very, very specific people. But there was a table with the twelve loaves of bread, and it was it was specifically representing the twelve tribes. There was all kinds of, of, of There was all kinds of meaning to this. But but here's one maybe, maybe you could think of. I don't know about you, in fact, Elliot was just telling me how she baked buns yesterday that turned out perfect, and I could almost smell fresh-baked bread when she started telling me about it. Because there's something for us that's just very comforting about fresh-baked bread, isn't there? If you can just imagine coming into the presence of God in those days, and you come through all this stuff, the sacrifice and the animals, I mean, it's bloody and messy back out there, but now you're in the presence of God, you've come past the lampstand, and now you come by this table of fresh bread. And bread is significant because bread is what's broken for the sake of fellowship. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. It's significant, it's life giving, it's important to us, that table of showbread. And the bread is representative of the promises of God's word. Jesus answered when he was being tempted by Satan in the wilderness. It's written that man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. God's word is our daily bread. I include and you should include scripture reading in your prayer time. In fact, what happens so often as you learn to do that, as you're praying, all of a sudden God will bring you to a place by his Holy Spirit and he'll put a verse in your heart or in your mind. And, and for me, I'll go and I'll look that verse up and all of a sudden that verse is a prayer and a promise. And that's amazing when that happens. Sometimes you need to just be reading your Bible as you're praying and, and just have it open and be, be present in it and present with it. Find a promise in his word and pray that promise. You want to make a request of God? Here's something really, really easy. It is really, really easy to ask God for something that he's promised you. Because even my kids have got this figured out, right? Like if I said, yeah, come and see me. I will give you $20 so you can go out for lunch after church, which I am not saying today. Today. This is just for the message. It's not literal. It's figurative. Understand, children? Good boys. But isn't it easy for my kids to say, well, Dad, you said, so I'm asking. How much more is it for you and I, for our Heavenly Father, if He said He'll do something for us, we become aware of the promise to then approach Him and say, God, you promised, so I'm asking. I just want you to know you really can't go wrong doing that. I understand that His Word, that, that table of bread that represents His Word, is not just a devotional book. Your Bible is not just a devotional. It's actually a weapon. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And it can divide the things in your life that you cannot. Ephesians 6, 10-18, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's scheme. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. God links for us together His Word, that holy book, the Bible, the Word of His Spirit, the Rhema Word, the Logos Word of God. He links that right directly to prayer. Don't miss it. Then we have the altar of incense. the initial picture we showed you, that smoke coming up the back, that was the altar of incense making that smoke. And right before in the tabernacle, right before you parted that last curtain, where you went into where God's presence was, there was a small altar burning incense. And it's... It's interesting because they would actually use coals from the brazen altar to come in because the coals from the brazen altar are a sanctifying fire. That was the fire that was used to consume the, all, consume the sacrifice given for sin. They would bring those coals in and they would bring them in, and, and ignite the incense that would burn on that altar of incense. And 24 hours a day, day and night, night and day, let incense arise, as we sang this morning, is referring to that exact thing. That altar of incense is the representation in our life of worshipping His name, worshipping His holiness, worshipping His person. In fact, all persons of the Godhead. Worship is intimacy with our Heavenly Father. It's intimacy with Jesus. Sing to Him, love Him with all your heart. Psalm 95, seven says, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture. We are the flock under His care. Worship actually comes from the word worth. What's it Worth. And you know, what we worship and what it's worth often are aligned wrongly. I look around our city, I see people worshiping new vehicles. I see people worshiping bodies at gyms. I see people worshiping all sorts of things. But their worth is not worthy of the worship. Now take God. Behold God. And worship him only God's worth how do we define that well first of all his worth is more, much more significant than ours and in Jesus he gives me his value so that's a nice thing but his worth I want you to understand this his worth who he is what he actually is is actually found in his names Proverbs 18:10 says this, "The name of the Lord is a strong tower, and the righteous run to it and are safe." Well, what are some of his names? Holy, righteous, peace, counselor, friend, shepherd, healer, provider, defender, ever-present. His worth is based in who he is, it's based in his names. And finally, you'd come after passing through all these stations, you'd come to the ark of the covenant. This was the place where God said, I'm going to put my presence in the middle of my people in this vessel, the Ark of the Covenant. You probably saw this in the Raiders of the Lost Ark, those of you who are old enough to have watched that movie. What would happen, though, in real history is a priest would go into that place And like an attorney, he would advocate for the people of Israel. He would walk in like he was walking before a judge. And he'd say, Okay, Father in heaven, judge, supreme ruler, um, we acknowledge that we have committed all these sins. And we have offered sacrifices. And we have done the rituals. And we have made ourselves as clean as we can. That intercession, my friends, in the Old Testament, here, here is here is who has replaced that intercession. It's actually Jesus. The Bible says that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you and I just like the priest had to do in the Old Testament and the Ark of the Covenant the the presence of God that you and I get to be in today more than anything else is our place to intercede for our world our place to to pray for the lost to pray for our families to bring our requests our concerns to Jesus to lift up our need before him to recognize our need before him and just church it's just it's important that we understand the stations It's important that we understand the process God's people have always walked through to get into his presence. And certainly it's much easier now. It's a better way, as the book of Hebrews says. But after we've gone through 1 Timothy 2 1 2 says, I urge then, first of all, that prayers, petitions, and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings. All those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in godliness and holiness. You hear us say it all the time. Pray for those who rule over you. Pray for those in authority. The spiritual authorities, the civil authorities, your boss, your parents. Pray for our nation. Pray that we could, we would see dissension and hatred broken, discord broken. Pray for our city. Pray for our county. Pray for our region, for our province. This is the place in intercession. It's the place you come and break the yoke of sickness off of people. It's the place you come and break the yoke of divorce that hangs over a family. It's the place that you come that you break off demonic bondages in the people's lives that you love so much. I just want you to get there this week. This 21 days of prayer and fasting. I want to challenge you to take your fast to the next level this week. You did social media last week, that's great. Now skip a meal. You skipped a bunch of meals, well, sacrifice something else. Miss something else so that you can spend just a little more time praying and in God's presence. Just a little more. We're going to sing one last song. And I just want you to understand this morning, wherever we're at with Jesus, it all boils down to the same question. What are you going to do with Jesus? This is one aspect of what Jesus has done for us. But here's the most important thing. To have a relationship with our Heavenly Father, we must come. There's no other way that we can do it. We have to come through Jesus. this morning i want you to know that because if you haven't done it yet today could be the day that you become restored as a child of god today could be your day for salvation today could be the day that the bondage and the curse of sin is broken in your life and a metamorphosis takes place and you become a new creation in christ and so we're going to sing one last song that's you this morning, I invite you to come as we sing and meet someone up front here who would like to pray with you. Prayer team is going to be on either side of the front. They just want to pray if you need prayer. And I'm not going to belabor it this morning. If you need prayer, get your butt up here and get prayer. Alright? If you need prayer, come get prayer. You don't have to leave the same way that you came. Let's stand together. Sing this last song. Don't hesitate. Don't wait. If you want to come, if you need to make your life right with God today, you come. If you need healing in your body today, you come. If you need a miracle in your life today, you come. And Lord Jesus, I pray right now in this place, as we one more time come with an offering of worship and thanksgiving and singing, that you would move on the heart of every person in this place, God, that those of us who need you to move in our life would be bold, that we would become bold and fearless in our response to you today, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.